0: This episode is sponsored by Celestron, manufacturer of high quality telescopes and an industry leader in developing exciting optical products with revolutionary technologies. I'm Kelly Beattie of Sky and Telescope Magazine, and tonight we're going on a tour of the stars and planets that you'll see overhead during March. First, we'll celebrate the equinox, follow the moon's phases. Figure out where all the planets have gone, learn about Sirius and its celestial neighbors, and dabble in some citizen science. So grab your curiosity and come along on this month's Sky Tour. When I hear March, I automatically think of two events related to the nighttime sky. The first is daylight savings time. Those of us in the US and Canada will make that annual adjustment springing ahead on March 10th. However, in Europe, the switch isn't until March 31st. I guess this must be a tough time of year to set up airline schedules. There are all kinds of arguments for and against having daylight time at all, but for astronomers, the upshot is this. Once daylight or summertime kicks in, it won't get dark after sunset until clock time is an hour later in the evening. The other March astro event is the equinox. This month, it occurs on the 19th, at 11.06 p.m. Eastern Time. Maybe you've heard this called the vernal or spring equinox because, well, it signals the beginning of astronomical spring in the Northern Hemisphere. But likewise, it's the start of autumn in the Southern Hemisphere. If you've listened to these monthly sky tours for a while, and I hope you have, then you know that I sidestep this problem by always referring to the March equinox, the June solstice, and so on. Problem solved. Now, maybe you've noticed that the equinoxes and solstices don't happen on the same date each year. For example, the March equinox can fall on the 19th, 20th, or 21st. Why is that? Well, a calendar year is 365 days long. But actually, it takes our planet 365 and a quarter days to circle the sun. 365.256... 36304 oh, days to be exact. And so those residual few hours add up. In any given year, the March equinox occurs 5 hours and 49 minutes later than the previous year's. But during a leap year such as 2024, it occurs 18 hours 11 minutes earlier than the previous year, and that's why this year it falls on March 19th. Kind of makes my head hurt just thinking about it. One thing that won't make your head hurt is keeping track of the moon's phases. As we saw during February, this month starts off with the moon well past full and most obvious in the morning sky before dawn. Last quarter falls on March 3rd, followed by new moon on the 10th. By mid-month, you'll once again be enjoying a lovely crescent in the evening sky with first quarter on March 16th. The full moon comes on the 25th, and a lunar eclipse occurs that night, But this event is a geometric oddity. The moon will glide deeply into Earth's penumbra, our planet's weak outer shadow, but not the darker umbra. We see this drop in sunlight as merely a dusky shading on the lunar disk that gets gradually more obvious as the moon dives deeper into the penumbra. From the perspective of astronauts standing on the moon, they'd see the sun partly but not completely blocked by Earth. Anyway, the timing of this eclipse favors observers in the Americas. For those on the East Coast, it occurs in the first hours of March 25th, with mid-eclipse at 3.13 a.m. Eastern Time. On the West Coast, the eclipse begins late in the evening on the 24th, and climaxes just after midnight. Now according to Native American lore, this month's full moon is known as the Full Worm Moon. That refers to the casts left on the ground by earthworms moving up through the softening ground. Another name used by other tribes is the full crow moon, because the cawing of crows was thought to signal the end of winter. Other variations are the full crust moon, as in snow cover with a crusty top, or the full sap moon. Since we usually have pretty brutal winters up here in the Boston area, I have a new one to add, the full thawing out moon. Something is missing in the evening sky right now. Oh, there are stars aplenty, and Jupiter is still quite obvious low in the west, and it'll make a dramatic pairing with the crescent moon on March 13th. But where have all the other planets gone? Well, this will be a month of playing hide-and-seek. Let's explore the morning sky first. Remember, to enjoy the pre-dawn sky while it's still dark, you'll need to be up and outside by roughly 5 a.m. early in March. But after that switch to daylight or summertime, you can go out instead around 6, not that early at all. Look for Venus very low in the east, roughly 30 to 45 minutes before sunrise. It's pretty easy to spot early in March, but gets more challenging toward month's end. To its upper right, by about the width of your clenched fist held at arm's length, is Mars. The red planet is much dimmer, but it's gradually climbing higher in the pre-dawn twilight. If you look early in March and fail to spot it, try again closer to month's end. Saturn is to the lower left of Venus, hopelessly swallowed up by twilight's glare. Now things are more interesting in the evening sky. Jupiter is gradually sinking toward evening twilight, but Mercury is gradually rising to the big planet's lower right. In fact, during late March, Mercury makes its best evening showing of the whole year. To spot this fast-moving little planet, go outside roughly 30 minutes after sunset, beginning in mid-month, and look to the lower right of Jupiter toward the horizon. If the air is clear and your view unobstructed, Mercury will just be visible as a faint blip, and it'll be easier to spot on the evenings that follow, with your best chances during the last week of March. Meanwhile, a stunning array of stars awaits you after darkness falls. Let's go track some of them down. As the twilight fades, turn left, away from the sunset point until you're looking south. There in the deepening blue, you'll find the first true star of the evening, brilliant Sirius. How early in twilight can you pick it up? Any time during the first days of March, before the switch to daylight time, make note of the horizon point directly below this beacon at 8pm. That's very nearly due south. Or look in the star's direction around 9 p.m. after the time switch. Sirius is the brightest star in the entire sky by a large margin, aside from our own sun, of course, in part because it's a close neighbor in space, just eight and a half light years away, and in part because it shines 25 times brighter than our sun. And here's something extra for those of you who live in the southern tier of the United States. From L.A. to Albuquerque to Oklahoma City to Memphis to Charlotte, and anywhere south of that. Find Sirius in the early evening, and look directly beneath it, close to the southern horizon. What is that bright star, you're wondering? Well it's called Canopus, and it ranks second after Sirius in the which star is brightest competition. Now it's much farther away than Sirius, 310 light-years to be exact, but it outshines the sun by more than 10,000 times. Canopus is always below the horizon for folks like me who live farther north, so for you southern listeners, consider yourself lucky to be able to see it. After twilight ends, look to the upper right of Sirius to spot the mighty constellation Orion the Hunter. Its two brightest stars are white Rigel, which marks Orion's lower left foot, and orange red Betelgeuse, his upper left armpit or shoulder. Midway between them. Look for the three-star row of Orion's belt. Now draw a line through the belt and follow it toward the right by about three fists past the bright star Aldebaran, the Eye of Taurus, until you reach a fuzzy little cluster of stars. That's the Pleiades, or Seven Sisters, and they look fantastic through binoculars. Now head back to Betelgeuse and look to its left for Procyon, which ranks eighth in the list of brightest stars. Procyon and Betelgeuse, together with Sirius, form a big equilateral triangle in the sky, known as the Winter Triangle to sky watchers. Let your eyes drift leftward toward the eastern horizon. In the hours after sunset, that's where you'll find the constellation Leo, the Lion. The Lion's alpha star, Regulus, sits at the bottom of a backward question mark that stretches toward upper left. Can you see it? That's the lion's head and mane. His hindquarters and tail are marked by a triangle of medium-bright stars to the lower left of Regulus. At this time of year, I think of Leo as rising up in the east as a harbinger of spring, just like Orion's climb a few months ago told me that winter was coming. Look well to the upper left of Leo, by about four fists, and you'll spot another welcome sight in the early spring sky, the Big Dipper, seemingly balanced on the end of its handle. Look to the upper right of Leo, between Regulus and Procyon, and higher up, to locate a pair of bright stars stacked vertically and just a few degrees apart. These are creamy colored Pollux and icy white Castor, the twins of Gemini. They're rather similar in brightness, so to tell which one is which, just remember that slightly brighter Pollux, with a P, is the one closer to Procyon, and Castor, starting with C, is closer to the very bright star Capella another sea that's nearly overhead. The rest of Gemini's twin bodies stretch out to the right, toward west. Hey, after all that, give yourself a pat on the back. You've found Sirius, Capella, Rigel, Procyon, and Betelgeuse. Those are five of the ten brightest stars in the night sky, and it's six out of ten if you spotted Canopus II. Now, since you know how to find Orion and Gemini, I'd like you to make a special effort to view the Mighty Hunter and the Twins early in March. Why these particular dates? Well, for one thing, the Moon won't be in the sky, and so you'll see the starry sky at its very best. But it's also when thousands of sky watchers around the world will be using the stars of these constellations to gauge how much light pollution they've got. It's quick, easy, and fun. No telescope or special experience is needed. Just go to the website Globe at Night. .org, download the handy star charts you'll find there, match your view of the night sky to what you see in the charts, and log in to record your observation. That's about it for this month. If you want more tips for viewing the night sky, including a free interactive star chart for any time or date, check out our website, skyandtelescope.org. If you haven't already subscribed, you can find this Sky Tour on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And please, leave a rating or a review. It'll help others to find the show. And if you want to explore the solar system and universe more deeply, please do check out the full line of binoculars and telescopes available at Celestron.com. Sky Tour is a production of Sky and Telescope a division of the American Astronomical Society, and it's produced by me, Kelly Beatty. Next month, I'll introduce you to twin brothers who've really made a name for themselves in the sky. Until then, I wish you clear skies.